Okay. We're doing now Monday's portion of Kisei. We are in chapter 21. We're up to verse 22. Kisei is a compilation of many, 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 many laws. We go through, we touch on many, which in today's portion we're going to touch on several. So verse 22, if a man will have committed a sin, his judgment is death, and he'll be put to death, and you shall hang him on a wooden beam. The Rashi explains that there's a juxtaposition of the passages because the previous section, which was a number of verses, was discussing what we call the Ben Sorer Umore, the wayward, the rebellious son, who is very young, between 13 and 13 and 6 months, is the time frame of that person. Under that, he's too young, and older, that, older than that, he's too old to be judged in this fashion of a person who's going on such a bad path at such a young age that the Torah knows that if he continues, he's going to end up being a highway murderer. And therefore, to remove him before he commits such crimes, he's killed at that point. So, but if a parent say, oh, we can't do this to our child, he's a child, he doesn't know what he's doing, yes, he's doing many things wrong, and yes, we warned him, and yes, he continues doing it, but come on, we, we can't do this to him. We're not going to do this to him. So in the end, as the Torah predicts, he's going to continue. He's going to become that murderer, that highway robber, that defiler of Torah, and he's going to get the death penalty. And therefore, we speak of the person who receives the death penalty and has to be hanged in connection to this section on this child. So it says you should hang him so who, who gets hung? Not everyone that's put to death gets hanging. And of course, hanging is not a means by which Jewish courts perform execution. There are four means of execution. Hanging is not one of them. So all who are put to death by stoning, Rashi explains, are hanged. Now, how do we see this? Well, it says here in the next verse, Ki kilua for a hanging person is a curse of God. And a person who would have such a crime, a crime of cursing, is stoned. So since we're making this reference of the one who curses gets hung, and the one who curses is stoned, so therefore from here we learn that all that are stoned have this punishment of hanging. There are number of different ways of understanding this concept here. Rashi is talking about many different ideas here. Um, some connected to the idea of idolatry and based on other nuances in the verse that idolatry is what one will get stoned and hung for. But here we're looking at the very simple way that the one who's cursing is going to get hung, and someone who curses gets stoned. So from here we globalize, decontextualize, that all that gets stoned get hung. His body shall not remain for the night on the wooden beam. Rather, you shall surely bury him on that day. For a hanging person is an insult to God. You shall not make him purely land, which God your God gives as inheritance. So we see here, you know, if we compare it to the, the pagan version that for thousands of years how mankind behaved is they would kill people by hanging and then they would let the corpse rot 
for months. Here, in the Jewish law, which is a law of compassion, we would not kill by such a slow, torturous process as hanging. And even when the body has to be hung in this very specific situation, stoning or idolatry, still the body is hung close to nightfall and is removed before nightfall. Why? So the verse here explains, as Rashi explains, because it's degrading to God, because man is made in his likeness. The Jews are his sons. So how can we have God's image just rotting away that's disgraceful to him? And Rashi gives a parable. If you had two twin brothers, one's a king and one's a bandit and is hung, so if the bandit's being hung, then people would see him say, oh, the king is hanging. So it's a little hard to understand Rashi's parable. Obviously, no one who's seeing the person hanging says God is hanging. But in a sense, we can understand this, that the twin brothers are this wicked man and the righteous, the tzaddik. And the wicked man and the tzaddik, the righteous man, are both in the image of God. So when one is being hung, it's as if, not literally that the saint is being hung, but like his likeness is being hung. So it's a disgrace to him. The, the twin brother, in other words, is a righteous Jew who through his saintly conduct became the king and the sinful brother is resembling him. So since all Jews are brothers, it's too close for comfort, so to speak, and ultimately this therefore becomes this disgrace to God. Then Rashi explains that kolola, the Hebrew word kolola normally means a curse, which doesn't make sense really in this context, but kolola also means like belittling. So kila telokim, taloi, this person that's hanging, it's like belittling, it's insulting God. Because again, the body of the Jew hanging is implying that someone that has a divine image is hanging, which is a disgrace to God. And now we go on to a different section. You should not see the ox of your brother or his lamb cast off and hide yourself from them. You shall surely return them to your brother. So hide yourself, Rosh explains, means, what is hide yourself? It means concealing your eyes if you don't see it. So I I didn't see it, so therefore I have no responsibility to do anything about it. But then Rashi continues that the way this verse is constructed, the simple meaning, of course, means don't see it and hide yourself, but on another level, it seems to say, and you should hide yourself, meaning there are times when you should, so to speak, not see this wandering animal. For example, if the person that notices the animal is a priest and the animal is in the cemetery. Well, the priest is not to go into the cemetery, so he has to, so to speak, hide himself, not see it because not to be obligated to go find it when he can't make himself impure that way. Or if the person who finds it's a scholar or a distinguished elderly person, so it's, even if it was his own object, he wouldn't pick it up and carry it. It would be inappropriate for him. So he should, so to speak, hide himself not to go and do this for this other animal. Or if retrieving and returning the object is actually going to cause a financial loss to the finder greater than the benefit to the owner. 
can imagine shipping this animal back to the finder, back to the owner, is more expensive than the value of the animal. So on one hand, I have this physical commandment to return it. On the other hand, it's actually a monetary loss to do so. So hide yourself, so to speak. If your brother is not near you and you do not know him, then you shall bring it inside your house and it shall remain with you until your brother is inquiring about it, then you return it to him. So we have here actually not just this very specific situation of this lost animal, but in general the concept of returning lost objects. So here we're told that you should find it. You should keep it in your house until your brother asks of it. So Rashi says, well, obviously you're not going to give it to someone who doesn't ask. So what, what is this first point? So the point is, that you have to seek out your brother, sort of a play on the Hebrew phrase here, meaning if, if you found something and someone comes and says, oh, I lost such and such, I say, oh, great, here, it's yours. Wait a minute. You just want to, like, you know, know you returned it, know you did the commandment, and not have to deal with it. But it might not be his. He could be lying. This belongs to someone. It might not belong to this person. So, looking at these words, inquire of this brother, inquire of this man claiming it's his to make sure he's not a liar. And then you should return it to him. That also is telling us part of the commandment, meaning if you find a lost object, you have an obligation to return it. So when would that not be the case? Well, let's say you took an animal into your house and the man comes in a month for it when he finds out about it and you're like, well, yeah, I I found this animal and it's yours, but on the other hand, he ate for me this and this amount of money, so you can have the animal, but you have to owe me this money, which might be more than the value of the animal. So based on that reality... Our sages say that if something, if an animal produces, meaning you could rent it out for labor like an ox, or it's wool you can share like a sheep, or it has eggs like a chicken. So take those items and use that for its upkeep. So in the end, when the owner comes, he doesn't owe you anything. But if it's something that doesn't produce, but it eats, then you wait three days, and after three days, the owner doesn't come, sell it, and when he comes, you give him the money. So therefore, we don't have this issue that by the time he comes, he owes you more than the value of the animal. So as you do for a donkey, so as you do for his garment, and so as you do for any lost article of your brother, they become lost from him, and you find it. You cannot hide yourself. So to hide yourself, again, means concealing as if you don't see it. Concealing yourself as if you didn't see it. Now we're going on to a different commandment. You shall not see the donkey of your brother or his ox falling on the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely raise it with him. So the previous commandments was all talking about a lost object. Some of the details, there are myriads of details in all the commandments about returning a lost object. Here we have another commandment also in terms of helping others. This is if an animal falls on the road. If an animal falls on the road, you have an obligation to help the owner lift up the animal. So this here is very specific to an animal. The previous situation that we were talking generally about animals, uh, you find a diamond ring, you find someone's wallet, you find someone's car keys. I mean, anything you find is under those laws. Here is specifically this animal that falls down. And raise it, Rashi explains, means loading the burden that fell from it. But the verse is very clearly, you shall surely raise it with him meaning you're coming and doing the owner a favor. The owner says, well, you have a commandment to load it, so you load it. I'm not loading it. In other words, he refuses to help you. Then you're exempt. But commentators explain you're exempt, but it's still giving pain to this poor animal that's lying down and needs to be lifted up. So in such a case, 
when you see the animals in pain, but the owner is refusing to help because, hey, it's your commandment. What you're allowed to do at that point is lift it up yourself and charge him for it. Listen, I have a commandment, but the commandment is only if you work with me. You're not working with me. I don't have this commandment. But the animal is in pain, and I'm not supposed to leave an animal in pain, so I will lift it up, but this is what I'm charging you for the service. If you don't want to pay, do it with me, and then it's a commandment. If you're not willing to do it with me, I'm going to charge you for it. Next, different subject, different commandment. A man's garb should not be on a woman, nor shall a man wear a woman's garment for anyone who does so is an abomination of God. So this is talking, of course, in general about the laws of modesty between men and women, and here very specifically in terms of wearing each other's clothing. We don't want the woman to wear a man's clothing, so she shouldn't go and hang out among the men, or vice versa. Um, or this could mean that a man shouldn't act in a, a woman's fashion, woman's garment, not mean literally the dress, but like removing his hair, the hairs of his armpits, etc., because that would be a way of a woman. There are various other ideas in, in the sages. So these are the ones that Rashi gives. They just say for the same way a woman can't wear the weaponry going around in the swords of a man or such things. Doing so is an abomination, which means, Rashi says, the Torah is forbidding garments that could lead to an abomination. This is a, not, you know, there's different opinions on this, but this is how Rashi is explaining these words. Next commandment. If a bird's nest happens to be before you on the road, or on any tree or on the ground, young birds or eggs, and the mother is roosting on the young birds or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother on the young. Which means, there's lots of details here, this is a very specific commandment that would be pretty rare to find nowadays. It's a very, very specific commandment. If one happens upon a kosher bird's nest, happens meaning you can't you can't do this you can't prepare for the for the commandment. You can't use uh, some domesticated nest that's in your property. You're talking a wild nest that you happen to come upon, and it has to be kosher. You're not allowed to take the mother while she's still on the young. So what are you supposed to do? Not take her? No, that wouldn't fulfill the commandment. The verse continues. You shall surely. Send away the mother and take the young for yourself. That will be good for you and you will prolong your days. So to fulfill this commandment, you have to send away the mother and take the eggs or the young birds. So if you would say, well, I want the commandment, but I don't really need these eggs or, or birds. What am I going to do with them? So I'll send away the mother and then I'll walk away. Well, you didn't do the commandment. So again, if it's not kosher animal, if it's not kosher bird, it's not the commandment. If you don't take the chicks or the eggs, it's not the commandment. If you prepare this in advance or have this on your farm, it's not the commandment. Only a very specific situation where you happen upon this nest of wild kosher birds and you chase away the mother to take the birds. And then you fulfill this commandment. And the verse gives you this very great reward for this commandment in order that it should be good for you and you should have long days. The Rashi explains that this is very interesting because this is an easy commandment. You know, it's very simple. You happen upon it. You do this, you're not, you're not obligated to. Meaning it's not like every time you see a nest of kosher wild birds, you have to do this. You only obviously do this if you can, which means you have the time, you have the ability, so it's not a big stress for you. It doesn't cost you any money. And look at this great reward we get. Good for you, it's going to give you long life. So we can learn from here, Rashi says, for the reward for 
visible commandment. If we receive such a reward for such a simple commandment that, again, is no stress involved, you don't have to do it, you're choosing to do it, you're just chasing away a bird, taking the eggs, and look what you get for it. Can we imagine what we get for all the other commandments that are not written the reward, that are demanding far more from us? <laughs> 